It's called all caps. Now, if you have any type of texting etiquette savvy, you understand that you're not supposed to type in all caps because when you do that, what are you doing? You're screaming, and it's very offensive and rude, and I hate everybody that's rude. Because <laughs> I'm never rude. I'm very couth. I'm the captain of couth. Dad, you prepared to disown me. Did you just buy a Justin Bieber CD? Now that's okay to put in caps. <laughs> this one was cute. This is between a mom and her daughter. What do you want for dinner? I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. And then mom responds, well, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. That's pretty good right there. So that sometimes, sometimes caps are okay, right? They're not always rude. Sometimes caps give you a little bit of a, you know, an emphasis on what you're trying to get across. You can't overuse it, right? Because capital letters are reserved for something special, something significant. Don't just keep your caps lock on all the time, people. Matter of fact, if I get an email and it's in all caps, like three paragraphs, all caps, I don't read it. You don't deserve to be read. There is a story about this guy named John the Baptist. We're going to read this passage to you. We're only going to look at the first six verses of chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. He's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, all caps, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. <clears throat> what was it about John the Baptist's message that was so appealing? I present to you that it's that word in all caps, Lord. That's what we're going to look at today. Continuing with the theme of verifying that Jesus was Messiah, we talked about this last week, right, about how the book of Matthew was written as a gospel from a perspective of a Jewish apostle trying to convince other Jewish people, look, this was the Messiah you have been waiting for. And in that process, continuing that theme of saying, you know what, this is the one, Matthew makes a very bold, bold claim about John the Baptist. Notice the word LORD in all caps. That word LORD is actually the word Jehovah. And I'm going to give you some very kind of a seminary level kind of type of trivia type of lesson today that only people that go to seminary are interested in, so I need you to pretend and nod and smile when I go through it. But we know that John's ministry was to Jewish people. And John's primary message, as outlined in the rest of Matthew chapter 3, was that the wrath of God is not just for Gentiles. It is for all those outside of Christ, Jews and Gentiles. And being Jewish was no guarantee that you would escape that wrath. Being born into the covenant family was not a guarantee that you were connected to God. 
And what John tried to teach was that this relationship with God is not based upon your lineage. It's not based upon your religious affiliations. It was based upon a personal, individual relationship with God, based upon individual repentance and individual faith. It was not some impersonal relationship with God based upon what Levitical priests would do on your behalf. That was the difference between John's message and the message of the temple, the message of Judaism. And when, the, gospel, when the, uh, the prophet Isaiah says that John was preparing the way for Jehovah, what John was saying was this, hey, things have changed. You no longer look to legalistic, pharisaical lifestyles. You no longer look to the priest. You no longer look to the temple. You will look to Jesus. Now, that's a pretty important message, but that wasn't the primary message in Matthew's story. Did you know that? Yes, that was the story of John the Baptist and what John was preaching, but you know what? Everybody knew what John was preaching. Trust me, he was well-known. He was well-loved. He was well-hated. Later on, he lost his life for his message. This was the primary thing that Matthew was trying to communicate. He says, he references Isaiah. Remember, he says, this is the voice of the one that Isaiah talked about, crying in the wilderness, repair you the way of the Lord, in all caps. This is the actual prophecy. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, all caps. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord, all caps, Jehovah, shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of Jehovah, the Lord, has spoken. Let me explain to you a little bit of what I mean by Lord, all caps. Here, here comes the ideas that I want to give you a little bit of history of, okay? This is, the, this is the seminary kind of stuff that some of you might be bored with, but it's crucial for you to understand. Listen to this. It's very important a non-negotiable doctrine. Without the doctrine I'm going to teach you today, any gospel that does not include this doctrine is a false gospel. It will not save you. Any church, any denomination, any sect, any movement that teaches anything contrary to what I'm going to teach you today about this theology is a false gospel. Give you a little history of the word LORD, all caps. Anywhere in our English Bible you see the word LORD, it is the name Jehovah. Here's the history. In the Old Testament, this word was actually spelled with the Hebrew letters that make up Y-H-W-H. And the reason for that was there were no consonants, or syllables, sorry, only consonants. And out of fear, so what would happen is out of fear of Jewish people using the Lord's name in vain, because that was one of the commandments, don't ever take the Lord's name in vain, they had to come up with a different way to say this name. They were afraid to speak the name. As a matter of fact, there were pretty intense things they went through every time when, they were, when the scribes were translating or they were copying manuscripts. Whenever they came to this word, they would stop and go through a, a ritual cleansing process before they wrote the name Y-H-W-H. And so what they did is they came up with this word Adonai instead, which means Lord. Not capital, but just lowercase Lord. 
And they said, you know what we'll do? Instead of speaking the actual name, just in case we make a mistake with how we say the name, we'll use like a nickname, a surname. It's not a measure of disrespect to God, but it's us saying we're afraid to speak the name. We're afraid we'll do it incorrectly. We're afraid we'll violate one of the commandments, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. So they came up with this word, Adonai. Now, around the 6th century B.C., they finally created syllables, or vowels, sorry, for Hebrew words. And so what they did is they kind of take the words, the syllables from Adonai, and put it over Yahweh. So think about this for a minute. The syllables in Adonai, A, O, A, Yahweh. They come up with this word, Yahweh. It's created by pronouncing Yahweh with the, with the syllable vowel points of Adonai, Yahweh. That's kind of where we are now. And then what happens is in the 13th century, in the Catholic monasteries when they're working on this, they kind of transliterate this into, and they kind of Latinize it into the idea of Jehovah. So it starts with Yahweh. They come up with a surname, Adonai. They, the Jews combine them to Yahweh. And then in Catholic monasteries, as they're trying to write the you know, translations, they come up with the name Jehovah. It's easier to say, Jehovah. And it's kind of Latinized. So in essence, the name Jehovah was actually invented in Catholic monasteries. And later, English translators wanted to come up with a creative way to capture what does Jehovah really mean. And so to capture the heart of the word YHWH, the one without any vowels that we talked about earlier, and they wanted to capsule, you know, encapsulate the idea of YHWH, Lord, and Adonai, they came up with a very creative translative idea. And that is, what we'll do is we'll put the name LORD in all caps. That way, every time that happens, people will know what we're referring to. We're not referring to a LORD. We're not referring to anything else. We're referring to actually YHWH, Yahweh, Yehoah, Jehovah, LORD, all caps. So whenever you see the word LORD, all caps in your English Bible, it is a specific, direct reference, not just to Jesus it is a specific reference to God. It is a specific reference to God the Father, Heavenly Dad, the Boss, the Big Cheese, the Creator, the All-Powerful, the All-Sustaining, the All-Knowing. That's the one. Now, why is this important? Why is it important for you to know this wonky stuff about where we get the capital, all caps, Lord from? This is the importance of the name of the Lord and what it communicates. In Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Think about this for a minute. See how this is all in caps? I didn't do that for you. That is actually how it is translated because in Hebrew, it is God said to Moses, Yahweh, Yehoah, Jehovah. That's all he said. Tell Israel, Jehovah. Tell them. Jehovah and I am are the same name. 
This is the very meaning of YHWH. I am, indicating an eternal existence without beginning and without end. It is a term that every Jewish person would know refers to one person and one person only. It would refer only to God. It is a name that is set apart. There is no other name. That was one of the things we just sung. There is no other name. There is a specific title, a specific name, a specific spelling, a specific way it is translated. This name is special. This name means more than any other name. This name holds more power. It holds more authority. It holds more than any other name. This name is amazing. This name should make your heart flutter is basically what was trying to be communicated here. Tell Israel, I am. Yahweh, Yehoah, Jehovah, all caps, Lord. Tell them, Lord. They'll know. Trust me, they'll know. There are certain words in our English language, when you say them, you know what they mean. In the Hebrew language, this meant one thing. It could not be mistaken for anything else. How did Matthew know this? Because he was there when Jesus made the exact same claim himself. And this story is recorded in John 8. Listen to this. I'm going to read this. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. This is Jesus talking. He saw it and was glad. So wait a minute. Here's what he's saying. Abraham was glad to see my day, and he did see it. So the Jews said to him, you are not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus says to them, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, what is that phrase? I am. And when they heard that, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Why were they so angry? Here's why. That phrase, I am, is crucial. Here's what Jesus was really saying. You know this guy, Abraham, you love? This guy you revere? I've met him. In fact, I created him. I chose him. Me. Jesus, the one right in front of you. I chose him, this man you admire, this man you love as your patriarch. In reality, I am his patriarch. Not only am I Messiah, I am your beginning, I am your end, I am your salvation, or I am your judge. Had you listened to John the Baptist, you would have known that. Isn't that amazing, this claim that Jesus makes? Before Abraham was, he didn't say, I have been. Before Abraham was, I was there with him. Before Abraham was, I am. That means, I was always. Abraham became, I was always. This is amazing. Think about this for just a minute. Matthew was telling the story of John the Baptist to make it very clear that Jesus the one who was crucified and resurrected, was in fact God. His deity was in fact, according to Matthew, the very reason his work on the cross was superior to the priests, superior to Judaism, superior to the temple, superior to the 
Pharisees and their legalistic laws and rules that Jesus described as a burden on people that they themselves could not even carry. So why is this important? Most historians, even atheists, acknowledge the existence of Jesus. There are some that don't, and they're idiots. Even the most ardent atheist who really is an academic will say, we cannot deny the existence of this Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth who created quite a stir. You can have rested, rested easy of that. He's one of the most verifiable historical figures in human history. So even atheists recognize that Jesus existed. Most religions even acknowledge that Jesus was a special person. Some even elevate him to the level of a prophet. And there are many religions that acknowledge the existence of Jesus but deny his deity. Islam, Jesus was a prophet, a good man, taught great things, not God. Jehovah's Witnesses, they take their version of the Bible, the New World, uh, the New World Translation, and you know where it says, before Abraham was, I am? You know how they changed that? Before Abraham was, I have been. And you know, I, and, 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 and their Bible, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, it says, prepare the way of the Lord, all caps. You know how they handle it in Matthew? Prepare the way of the Lord with lowercase. They deny the deity of Christ. So I give you permission as one of your pastors, if you ever see a New World Translation Bible, I'm serious, I give you permission, throw it in the garbage. I'm not kidding you. It's deadly poison. Throw it in the garbage. I know some people might be upset at that, but that's the fact. Seventh-day Adventists deny the deity of Christ. People don't realize this. The Jehovah's Witnesses are actually an offshoot from the Seventh-day Adventists. Charles Taz Russell was a Seventh-day Adventist pastor, and he left and started the Jehovah's Witnesses. Mormonism teaches that Jesus and Satan are brothers. They're brothers, and there was just a sibling rivalry. There are many denominations and many sectors of evangelicalism, so to, so to speak, that have very soft teachings on the deity of Christ, and they downplay the importance of this theology. If you ever think about going to another church, which I really can't understand, maybe after today I could understand a little more, be sure to ask their position on this doctrine first. Do you believe that Jesus is fully God? And if they don't believe it, you can cross that one off your list. What is the difference between us as an evangelical community, not just Church of the Palms, but all churches that embrace this? It is the deity of Christ. All of Heavenly Dad's perfection, all of his righteousness, all of his fullness, all of it, his power, all of it present in the body and the mind of Jesus. At the Garden, at Church of the Palms, this is a non-negotiable. There are a lot of things that we struggle with and they're swirling around. Do we believe in this? Do we not believe in that? There are some things that we leave as non-negotiables. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of the most important ones. It is at the core of our passion as believers. It is the core of our power as Christians. It is the core of our message. It is the core of our transformation. It is the core of why we even bother to do church. 
There is no room for any other interpretation of this doctrine. I just laid it out for you in the passage. It's very clear what capital Lord means. It means Jehovah, Yahweh, God. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, all caps, make his path straight. What was John the Baptist doing? Preparing the way for Jesus, who is God. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. And they wanted to stone him. Why? Because every Jew knew exactly what that meant. He's claiming to be God. Who does he think he is? Kill him. And it's ironic that that passion is what leads to our salvation. Any watering down of the teaching renders the gospel powerless. For without that name, the Lamb of God fails to do the following things. If Jesus is not God, he wouldn't be perfect, spotless, or sinless, therefore unable to die for our sins. He'd have to die for his own. Do you understand that? To deny the deity of Christ says that Christ is not perfect, and therefore he couldn't die for us. He'd have to die for himself. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Jesus needed no forgiveness. Why? Because he was God. Without the deity of Christ, the Lamb of God couldn't conquer death and the grave. If he wasn't God, he'd still be in the tomb. Do you understand that? The reason that Jesus could conquer the grave is because death and hell could not hold him. Why? He is Jehovah. All capital letters. Lord. Yahweh. You know what else if he wasn't God? He couldn't sit on the throne. He couldn't be a heavenly king if he's not the king, the ruler, the creator, the master. He is God. He is king. Therefore, he's perfect. Therefore, he can conquer death. And therefore, he can rule and reign. See that word? It's a Greek word, and it's pronounced theanthropos. Maybe you can hear a couple of words we get that from that. Theos, theology, theos, God. Anthropos, anthropology, man. See how they're put together? Theanthropos. It is a Greek word meaning God-man. It means he was fully man, but fully, fully God. So now I've outlined this theology for you, this doctrine for you, this kind of wonkiness about the history of Jehovah and all that stuff. So now you're saying, great, I have that knowledge. How can that make Monday better for me? I'm struggling, Pastor Joe. Yes, great, he's God, but I'm hurting. I don't have a job. I have family members that are sick. Physically, I'm struggling. My marriage is hurting. My relationships are crumbling. How can this theology about Jesus being God help me Monday? Here's what I want you to do. Kind of just close your eyes for a minute and just sit there quietly. We all have some sort of image of what we think Heavenly Dad looks like. Get that image in your mind right now. 
Maybe it's a long beard. Maybe it's a robe. I don't know what the image is. Lightning bolts, I don't know. But whatever the image of heavenly dad that you've always flirted with, maybe you were scared to put one together, but you've always known it was in the back of your mind. Right now, I give you permission, bring that image of God to the forefront of your mind and get that image in your head. That's God. That's heavenly dad, creator, sustainer, ruler. You got that image? Imagine that image. Now take that amazingly powerful, glorious, intimidating, untouchable, scary perhaps, awe-striking image. Hang it on the cross. Because of your sin. Hang it on the cross for your salvation. Imagine that image nailed, blood flowing, screaming out in pain, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine that image of God, this powerful heavenly dad you've always had nailed to the cross for you. Take a second and drink that in for a moment. Don't think about Jesus on the cross, that picture of the man that you see in all the paintings. Think about your image of God that you have in your mind. Nail that to the cross for a few minutes. You're drinking it in? You know your sin. You know your faults. You know your flaws. Your image of God was nailed to the cross because he could conquer death. He could conquer sin. He could conquer the grave. He could call you. He could choose you. He could draw you out. He could transform you. Why? He's all-powerful, all-knowing, and with the image of the cross, all-loving. Guys, that is the practical meaning of this doctrine called the deity of Christ. It's the reason that he can call you. It's the reason that he can save his elect. And it might have been very offensive for Matthew's readers. But that image of Heavenly Dad on the cross, it's the core of our peace. It's the very core of our comfort. That image that you're drinking in right now in your mind's eye is the very core of why we have hope. sing with me.